Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. I'm here. And Larry Korea. Every once in a while, the lion has to show the jackals who he is. Today's episode, Tweet Bashing Round 6. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Okay, we, we, we have Jason in, uh, in town again today. And... It's not like he left town. He's, he, it's been like three whole minutes for us. Um, but, uh, you know, in general, when we have guests on, we, we always say, well, what do you guys want to talk about? What, like, what is there something you're passionate about or whatever? And that's how a lot of our topics come about when we have, um, when we have guests on. Well, we always let our guests choose the topic. Now, for this one, we just, we couldn't decide just because we were just having a good time chatting. Um, and so we're like, well, you know, there, there's been a couple bad writing advice things come up through Twitter and other places, and some that showed up on the fa- on, on the writer, the writer dojo Facebook groups. So we're like, you know what? Let's just have bad Twitter advice day with Jason present. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna have a guest for bad Twitter writing advice writing hashtag writing community. Yes. Hashtag writing community. Hashtag. Okay. Okay. So we're we're gonna get started. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust Larry's level down a little bit. Um. All right. So, with with these levels down, wait, wait. Let me turn down the knob. Hold on, hold on. I don't want to. I don't want to kill anybody as you're driving. Yeah. Um, spoiler for those of you who haven't listened to the show before. The infamous Twitter writing advice voice has um, become a staple of our show. Yeah, and we try not to do it very often, though. Well, you know, before when we were, when I didn't have complete control over the the whole sound thingy, um, it was just Larry blowing out speakers across America and and parts of the other around the world but now i have direct control so you know mass effect assuming direct control go for it larry this is from twitter from a person who will not be named who i believe is an author (laughs) for writers how many po view characters does your books have i'll make this simple one always one this is the correct number of povs one storyteller one pov if y'all can't tell a story with just one POV, how do you make it through your regular life? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's better live. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah. And and my, my poor dog's in the room with us, and she's oh, like, I know. I think she's like, what the crap is I happening? Think the dog just peed on the carpet. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, okay, so. so. Okay. So from this author, who no, not to malign him at all. Allegedly. His books may be awesome. For all I know, this guy is a fantastic author. I hope his books are great. Doubtful. But his <laughs> advice is awful. Yes. So so I'll read this again in English. For writers, how many POV characters does your books have? I'll make this simple. One, always one. That is the correct number of POVs. One. Storyteller, one POV. If y'all can't tell a story with just one POV, how do you make it through your regular life? Well, first of all. I, uh, I, ha- I often have many voices narrating my day uh, in real life. <laughs> well, I don't know about you guys, but I make my way through life selling a lot more books than this guy. Led, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Jason, how many? Wh- what is the simple answer to the correct number of POVs in a book? As many as needed. <laughs> there you that's go, right. Man. That's right. I mean, if you're going to tell a story, it doesn't matter if it's one person or it's six, as long as the story gets told. Yeah, it's interesting. We've actually had episodes on the show about this. And one of our things is if you're writing third person... One of the biggest advantages of third person is I can bounce around, yeah, and I can go. I can tell a scene from the perspective of whoever has the most interesting, and I'll usually have a couple of main narrators, and then I'll have a couple of secondary narrators, 
And if I have a tertiary narrator, it's usually because it's like some poor dude. They're about, about to, to die. Get, he's about, <laughs> I need, I need the perspective of somebody on the spaceship that's about to explode, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I did dead six with Mike Cooper. We have two first person narrators in yeah. that book. Well, I mean, in residue and, and I didn't do this to like be cool. I did this because I couldn't figure out how to tell the story in any other way. He totally did it because it was cool. No. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, the main character, Jack, is first person. And then the main character, Alex, is third person. Now, the third person part of that is because I found it easier to tell mind reading from a third person perspective. But, again, okay, so two POVs. Um, Servants of War, we have four. I yep. think there's, there's going to be five in book two. Oh, uh, yeah, because... Because uh, we're adding Darius. Darius has a scene. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, I don't know. This is just ridiculous to me. It's like, you're only allowed one. Now look, there, there's plenty of great, great novels where it's one POV the whole time. You know, I mean, our listeners know how much we love Chris Rocchio. Oh yeah. One first person POV for 9 million gajillion words per book. And so, but Chris is great at this. Mm-hmm. Fever. One, Fe- again, one. Fever yeah. one. Um... Oh, no, Corruptor had two, because I needed one from the inside and one from the out, so, but two third person. As long as you do it well, and you don't, like, head hop in a way that's confusing to people, so I'm a big proponent of, like, scene break, Mm -hmm. new narrator, scene break. For, uh, for me, I use chapters. When I'm switching characters, I'll start a new chapter, and I I start with that from uh, Germ, so. Yeah, Yeah. I I mean, the, the... Unless you're writing the third person omniscient, which kind of went out back in the seventies, you know, like Dune head hops. But you know what, guys, you a ain't lot of f- early horror head hops. Yeah. You guys, you ain't Frank Herbert. Yeah, and you're not Robert McCammon. Yeah, you're not Robert, Robert McCannon. McCannon. You're not. You're not. Um, Probably Dan Simmons. Yeah, I'm sure he's done it. Well, Dan Simmons can do anything. Though. Exactly. Yeah. So you're not Dan Simmons. I'm not Dan Simmons. Dan Simmons is only Dan Simmons. Yeah, and he's yeah. awesome at it. Yeah. I think we should need to have Jason read one of our bad advice. Ooh, I think this is a good idea. Jason, this, uh, do you have a bad Twitter advice? I do. For us? Okay. Oh, heavens. I, I did theater for a couple of years, thanks oh, to... goodness, I'm going to adjust. I don't okay. even know what's going to happen. All right, Jason. Hold on. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. wait. I got I to I gotta adjust. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. Okay, so this one we saw on Twitter, it was ridiculous. And this, uh, this, this takes us back to one of our, our more famous or perhaps infamous episodes. Um, there, there, I'm sure a lot of this will end up getting There will probably out. be some beeps in this episode. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so basically the question was, uh, how do you feel about dropping an F-bomb on the first page? Because I have an opening that's snappy and I like it, but there's an F-bomb within the first hundred words. That was a legitimate question by a, a, a good That's qu- actually that's, a pretty fair that's question. That's a very reasonable question. That's actually question. a fair question. Now, however. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. okay well, yeah, there's there two go. bad responses here. Which do, Should I do them both? There's two. Because there's two. Do Carl first. Okay. He who shall not be named. Uh, I don't know who this person is, but I just... Okay, cool. Use 90% of the time when somebody says something really stupid on Twitter, their name's Carl. No okay. offense. Carl. Got it. Or Karen. <laughs> or Karen. Or Josh. Okay. <clears throat> I don't use it in any of my books. Interestingly enough, none of the writers in either of the writing critique groups I am in, a member of, use it either. Most of them feel it is in the mark of an amateur... <laughs> <laughs> I just broke them. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh Lord. All right, poor Jason. See, it's harder than it looks, isn't it? I just I was laughing too hard. <laughs> it's harder than it looks. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you've seen it here. The the bad Twitter voice, it is it takes 
It it, uh, it takes it takes training. It does. <laughs> you gotta work up to it. You, you just can't w- jump into it. Like, welcome to the pool, kid. <laughs> Hashtag writing community. No, so um, okay, okay. So so let's read this in, in English. English. <laughs> I don't use it in any of my books. Interestingly enough, none of the writers in either of the writing critique groups I am a member of, uh, yeah, for whatever, very prestigious, uh, mm. use it either. Most of them feel as the mark of an amateur. Okay. Okay, so you're from, because I actually had a response to this. You did. Oh, yeah, you did. The reason I had a response to this, I saw this post, the reason I saw this post was because of uh, author Laurel K. Hamilton. Uh, a little author, you may have heard yeah, of her. I mean, she, she I, writes. I, I hear she's going to be a big one. She's day. written a she's couple books. Be a big one day. You know, it's like, okay, so I mean, <laughs> Anita Blake has sold like 200 million copies yeah. worldwide, okay? So Laurel Hamilton is where, she's a friend of mine, and, and so her response is like, f that. <laughs> And, and, and it's like, so, so when one of the most successful authors in the world is all like, well, that's dumb, you know? And, and my response was, since I've sold a few, oh, actually I should do Larry Korea, good Twitter writing. Good advice. Tw- yes. What is, I don't I, what is good? Here we know. go. I don't know what this is going to be. Uncharted territory. Since I've sold a few million more books than Carl's book club put together, <laughs> that f***ing nonsense. Happy face. <laughs> I owe my career to a book that has parlez-vous this mother in it. <laughs> good writing advice. <laughs> Hashtag good writing advice. Hashtag. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, so okay. So, so the, the, the just a more masculine version of me. That's right. Is, is, uh... um, so, the here's the thing. The initial question that was asked there, like, that's actually a super valid question. That's a valid yeah. question because it, profanity, as we talk about the profanity episode, it's an establishing thing. You're establishing some stuff in the world and you don't want to drown the reader in it and it's more powerful. And plus, you're establishing who the character is, especially if you're doing it in the first person. We established in Fever on the first page who Chloe was Yeah. by by her, her response to when the same She event. uses profanity on the first page yes, she does. of Fever. Yeah, she, she's a potty well, mouth. And, she's and, a potty mouth. And there are, and it's super valid that if if you're writing a character who is not that way, that just wouldn't really swear that much in real life, Okay. Like it's super valid, but, but, but I think what was interesting was that the person said, I have this like really good snappy opening line and there's a, and there's some swearing in it. And I'm like, okay, well, is your opening line actually really good and snappy? Cause if it is, that's far more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that opening line is a, is a good seller and it establishes like, wow, this is interesting stuff and it hooks me and you need to put an F bomb in it then so be it. But if your book is like Magic Princess Sparkle Adventure, then that F-bomb opening line probably isn't the right hook. So there was a book that came out recently. It sold a gajillion copies. The uh, sequel to it just recently came out. I'm not going to say the author's name because I tried reading the book, the ver- the first opening page. And it's supposed to be this epic fantasy thing. I think I, I think we know which one this is. And she just – it throws the tone of the book right off the bat when, she's dro- when she says, can I? It's Sorry, we're, we're bleeping this episode. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. There's bleeps. Uh, she, she says, just put in other words, I am so f-ed. And it completely threw me out of the story. So like, wait, I thought this was like some kind of epic fantasy. What? What is this? It it, it didn't do it. It's kind of why I didn't like uh, A Song of Ice and Fire as much. Because it's just random cursing, which doesn't fit. I mean, it fits it because of the way he's writing as a dark medieval Europe instead of an actual fantasy land. 
But it, in my head, the way it had been portrayed to start the book and to start the series, it wasn't set up that way. So to have that come in all of a sudden just to like, hey, I'm edgy and cool, it, it doesn't work. Well, and, and, and that's the thing is if, if I give any credence whatsoever to, to the people who were like, no, that's stupid, you're dumb, it's because they've, the only stories that they've paid attention to, whether in film or in fiction or, or, or literature, are, are the ones where it has been executed poorly, right? Because, I mean, shoot, Larry, we, you and I were talking about this with Son of the Black Sword right at the very, very beginning. Yeah, I actually um, originally, in the original draft, I had... Yeah, tons of profanity in it. Yeah, way more real world... Like our profanity. Profanity. Well, because, I mean, producer Jack's going to have to be bleeping this episode anyway, but... So I might as well. Yeah. But there was uh, bits where I used the word a lot because is such a great and versatile world. And plus I was writing about the warrior cast people and also worker cast people. They're going to say a lot. Right. And so just like real life, but it also did a couple things in there. It, it made the book feel more like our world and not a foreign world by doing that. And also it, uh, as Steve pointed out, it, artificially limited my epic fantasy audience mm -hmm. to people who aren't into that. And so it was one of those, like, so I was going for like real life vermissitude, but they, uh, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, <laughs> but you guys know what I'm saying here. But I looked at it and I said, okay, Steve's right. I'm actually limiting myself. So that's when I came up with the, um, the swearing specific to that universe, uh, which was more ocean related and, uh, you know, going it's that contextual. Direction. It's contextual. We talked about this a lot more in the swearing episode, but it was a um, it was a conscious choice. So if you're going to use profanity in your books, just make sure it's a conscious choice and go listen to that episode because we go into the psychology a whole bunch of how yeah. reader brains interpret words as opposed to the listening. Because listening to profanity is a lot different than reading profanity. Yeah, yeah. Psychologically. Yeah, it's it. I don't know. I I feel like this person is. It always, it always makes me sad, I guess, when I see someone who is asking legitimate questions and then the response that they're given is like, well, in my expert opinion... Well, in my writing group... In my writing group that, okay. that all of us together have published negative two Guys, stories... First, uh, so this is an entirely different thing here, but the whole, I'm in a writing group. That's like, that's no like cares. my dad owns a dealership. No one cares, dude. This, yeah, I mean, this is, doesn't this is, make you an expert. This is the opening scene from Jurassic Park. Right. It's, it's like, Oh, Dobson, Dobson, we got Dobson here. See, no one cares. Like that, that, <laughs> that's what it is. Like no one cares. So, all right. Um, we're, uh, we're coming up on, uh, on our break here. So we're gonna, is that where we're at? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to come right back. And when we do, um, I've got a, uh, I've got a topic for us to, to discuss that came out of the convention that Larry and I were just at. So we'll be right back. Los Angeles, the 1970s. Disco is king, and the nightclubs are full of young, beautiful people with Saturday night fever. From the Sunset Strip to Hollywood Boulevard, a new era is dawning. But below the glitz and glamour, a terrifying darkness lurks. Chloe Mendoza knows darkness. She is a Nahuali, a half-demon created by the gods of Central and South America, a child of the Court of Feathers, a group of demigods who ruled Mesoamerica with a bloody fist before the arrival of the Spanish. Now, 
She is a member of Monster Hunter International's newest team. Business is booming in the City of Angels, but soon Chloe gets a message from the Court of Feathers, warning her of a mysterious dark master who is building up its power in the region. Whatever it is, it brings death and carnage with it. Time to Boogie. On sale now, set in Larry Correa's best-selling Monster Hunter International series, comes the electronic advanced reader copy of Monster Hunter Memoirs Fever by Larry Correa and Jason Cordova. Exclusively from Bain Books. Hardcover available in October 2023 anywhere Bain Books are sold. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, so this one, there really isn't like a bad, you know, Twitter voice for this or anything. So, so Larry and I, we were at um, 20 books uh, out in Vegas at the time of recording this a couple weeks ago. Oh, and we had some great interviews out there. We had some freaking fantastic um, interviews out there. Um, really high quality people there. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. Um, now, some of the unfantastic parts of it, it... And this is the, I don't, dark, the dark side, the dark side of 20 books. No. And, and, and this is nothing to do with like the, with the guy who was running it at the time. Craig. No, Craig's awesome. Craig, Craig Martell's fantastic. Craig Martell's a good guy. Um, you know, my, my son, much like he did at Liberty Con was there running, uh, was running AV stuff. He was having a good time. He knew how to do it better than all of the other people there combined. Um, the boys are prodigy. Yeah. So, um, but here, here's the thing. When I was there, I couldn't help but feel like I was being sold a timeshare the entire time I was there. And I, and it seemed like every time I turned around, all I heard from, I mean, look, I would, you know, we were, we were around my new publisher, Steve Boyer at Athon. That was great. You know, I was, you know, me, you, Larry, David Weber, we were, you know, we were talking Rothman, all that stuff. It was great. Rick Partlow, all those people were awesome because they're all pros, but it seemed like everybody else was saying, you know what you need? Is my magic you just need my magic needs. manuscript right here, and if you buy this book, it will guarantee you become a bestseller because you buying this book has made me a bestseller. Like, like it's it's absurd to the point of I, I, I hate it. I absolutely hate this. The easy the the guys that are peddling the easy button. Yes, yes. There is no freaking easy button. No, and every now and then somebody wins the lottery, but there's no easy button. So like. Um, when when corrupter and you know didn't get a rejection, so everybody's like, oh yeah, you obviously have the best sell. You've got that was the your easy button, button Jason. Well, yeah, you it was hypocrite. Easy, I know, uh, but it wasn't. I am a friend of mine actually at the time who I was potentially collaborating with. We ended up not writing together, but he recommended me to this publisher and it got me bumped to the front line. I didn't discover this till later. I just thought the book was that good because my ego is like you know former athlete. I, of course, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know <laughs> that there was some inner politics at play, but there there is no magic bullet. Like I said, there there isn't any. There's a lot of people who we've talked about this on the show before that drive me nuts. There's certain authors, and I don't want to name any names. Well, I might name some names because some of them just deserve it. But there's authors who, for every book they write, they will write another book that's how to be a best selling writer. Yeah, you guys know the kinds of guys I'm talking about, or they write a book or two that have mediocre sales. They might have one thing that got pushed or they might've got picked up by a, a large IP to write in somebody's IP at one point. And then sure enough, there'll be another book on Amazon, how to be a best-selling author by 
you know, clappy clap McClown Flace, and it'll be just the dumbest crap ever. And 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 these guys profit off of people and their desire and their dreams to be authors. You know what really pisses me off about all that is when people come up to you and me and they're going to hit you too, Steve, and they say, man, I can't believe what kind of overnight success you have. What, what, oh, no, how I've lucky already, were yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I've seen that. My 15 years uh, of overnight success. Right? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. makes me so angry. And when they do it to like, I watch like at Liberty Con, I watch people do it to you and I'm just like, how does he not throat punch them? He's got incredible well, self-control. Well, yeah, there's, there's, right. there's the whole part about him being in prison would be bad for his family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got an overhand right that it was a rock yeah. someone's world. But, but you know, it, it's... And that's once again not to disparage uh, disparage this particular con because every con is this way. Yes, and, this is true. And, and if you go to a con, you'll see that there'll be a class on like marketing and business and, or how to, how to improve your craft, how to be a better writer, how to do this, how to do that. Uh, basically, like all the different topics of the writer dojo that we've yeah. had over the years, and 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 there's all good stuff, but there's always going to be that one guy on the panel who's trying to sell the magic beans mm-hmm. or sell you the goose that lays golden eggs. And they always have this panel where they're like, "And if you too, you know, for or if you do this right now, I'll even throw in a set of steak knives." Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! I could use a good set of steak. My knives. son, my son recorded an ep- uh, uh, a panel that was like this. At the at, at twenty books, yeah, and it was a person selling a planner Ugh. for how how to be a better how to how to be a better author planner. Yeah, and I'm like, <sighs> I mean, if you need a planner to tell you how to be an author, You're there's there's some it. issues there. Yeah, and it's honestly, and this is not just our industry. No, this, no, this no. Is this is ever in every industry. dude. We saw this at uh, when we, at when we were together at the DOD place. Yep. You know, we saw all of the people coming in with the corporate training books. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, constantly the only, like, this is, this copy has sold 9 million copies worldwide. I'm like, well, yeah, because you're making every company buy it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like the cult of how to write books and how to sell books. Which is interesting too, because like, it's one of the things that I've always prided myself on. Um, if I'm going to try to teach somebody to be my competitor in this field, then I am, yeah, so Jason's <laughs> waving his hand. I, I give out advice freely. I don't, I have, okay, so the only time I've ever charged for giving writing advice was when I taught a creative writing class for Weber State. That's because it was required. They had to pay me. Like, legally, they had to pay me. And I was like, okay, so what's, like, the base minimum? All right, I'll do that. And then, yeah. and then also, they're like, well, we could do a percentage of what you charge people for the class. I was like, I don't want to charge anything. Can I do it for free? Can I, can I not charge them? And they're like, no, we have to charge them. I was like, well, what's the minimum you can charge them? And I was like, this. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm charging, yeah. you know? And uh, I and I think I, so I did, I did actually buy a gun off that, just on <laughs> general principle at the end. But um, seems legit. Dude, dude, wh- like when we do Writer Dojo, you make brisket money and all the yeah. other money we've actually, thank you to our supporters. You guys provide brisket. <laughs> Don't give me that look, Jason. Don't give me that look. We were busy. <laughs> Actually, so Steve did not cook a brisket for for Jason. I know. He promised me I did. a brisket. <laughs> I did, and it was just. But we bought these awesome microphones and the awesome little speaker thingy that Steve's. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Steve's Where's the with. brisket, though, Steve? <laughs> yeah. But you guys keep us supplied in brisket. But like, honestly, profitability wise, by us he means me. We do this because we want to pass on information, not Jason. The best advice you've ever, you, the best saying you've ever used, and I've quoted it religiously because it's true. Is 
a rising tide lifts all boats. That's right. And I we want everybody to succeed. Yeah, I kind of like if I give back to somebody, if I'm trying to help as a writer give good business advice, good writing advice, good craft advice, it's just honestly kind of a, it's karma because people did it for me. Uh, people, people helped me out when I was starting. Um, I mean, we talked about Brandon Sanderson on the show and he's worth like $40 million now. And at least he, he's got his own con going on right now with like 10,000 people at it. I mean, the dude's on top of the world, but you know what, when he, when I started out, he was the first dude to take the time to actually sit down with me and give me real actual bona fide business advice. And uh, he was still pretty new at the time. He just barely done Mistborn. He just got his deal to finish off for Robert yeah. Jordan. So he was kind of at the beginning of his career taken off. But he he took the time. And he didn't have to. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to sit down with me at dinner and say, hey, like, this is how you do this. This is how you do this. Pay attention to this. But well, he did. Well, and if, and if you were to buy a writing advice book from anyone, it seems like Brandon might be the guy. Oh, he'd be you, a good you'd, one. You'd be doing that. But you know who doesn't have a book on writing advice? Brandon. Yeah. He's too busy writing books. He's too busy, you know, actually being successful. Well, I don't know. So like we do this podcast for free and we got guys like Jason coming on here all the time. Yeah. We got, we got guys that are like working pros. You know, you guys are professionals. You're out there, you're learning, you're doing stuff. And we give you guys an opportunity to talk. And Jason, we his opportunity is like, I want to do bad Twitter writing advice. <laughs> Seems legit. It's fine. But beware, beware of the sharks, guys. And I don't, yeah, I don't just yeah, say that. Yeah, for, for sure. I don't just say that for Steve. Yeah, screw those things. There's a lot of people in our business who are very... Um, Sorry. You shut your mouth, Jason. Do we want... Okay, so here's something we want to get into a little bit. We have to tread carefully here because we have people who we like who do this. The uh, writing symposium business. Sure, mm. sure. I have strong feelings about that. I think I should stay out of this one. You think so? I will go off. I, I, I think... Here's what I think about these. <laughs> I I think that if I think that if you are good at teaching and you are and you have shown a substantial track record of success, I think that that I don't think that there's much difference between that and you going to some local convention and being on 9 million panels. I don't really see much of a difference there. The trouble is there are a lot of symposiums. I mean, we're talking vast majority of symposiums where it's snake oil. You go for it. Just, just oh, I we can't. can actually, if you do, if you lose control and do say something about somebody you want bleep, just let us know and we'll have Jack take it out. Okay. So when you sold one or two short stories and you're going around charging people oh, 90 garbage. to $120 to take your how to be a writer class, you are so full of I swear to God, those people are evil. They are the like the epitome of evil in this industry. They are the reason why the publishing industry is tanking right now. Because all the writers who are up and coming are looking at these established superstars who are two freaking short stories under their belt, and they're just char getting charged out the wazoo, yep. and they're getting nothing of value out of it. This Meanwhile, you guys are doing this for practically for free, get dispensing advice, and they're calling you the evil ones. What the Mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. That that's a hundred percent legit. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I did tell you I had strong no, feelings. It's, no, it's a hundred percent legit because this is a complaint that Larry and I have had for yep. a long, long time, and that's that we have been on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of panels together, and and almost with a hundred percent surety, there is someone on that panel who dreamed about finishing a story one day, 
but they're on there giving advice. Mm. And, and that's bad enough. Now, when you monetize that as advice and you are out there spouting advice and you haven't published a freaking thing, I'm sorry, but I got no respect for you. I got, I have absolutely zero respect for that. When people ask me for writing advice, I always preface this with this works for me, but it does, it might not work for you. Yeah, we've said that on the show like a million times. There's no rules. These are just suggestions. Yeah. Guidelines. Guidelines. A- anybody is... who says this is the absolute way you have to do it, just turn on your mute button in your head and just wait till they're done. Say, oh, thank you so much for your time and move away as quickly well, as possible. Well, because inevitably anybody who says this is the way, this is the one way to do it, I can find four or five examples of somebody really successful who doesn't do it that way. Yeah. yeah. Inevitably, every single time. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, dude, you're, you don't feel bad. That's absolutely No, no. You're, you're, preaching, you're you. preaching to a choir right there, baby. And I, I, I once again, trying that. We, we try really hard on the show not to bag on specific people. Oh, I kept their name out of it. Oh, yeah. But I, I can think of some that are, that like, literally, that that's their, they've been doing this as long as I have. I've been doing this for 15 years. They're professional panelists. And they're yeah. professional panelists. Yeah. And, like, I look at what I've written in that period of time, and I look at what they've written, and they've written, like, 12 short stories over the last 15 years. Maybe. Maybe. Or, or a, there's a novella in there. Yet... They present themselves and they conduct themselves and they carry themselves in a manner that people think they're legit. And that this and that these are almost inevitably the people who offer the you must do this. You have to do this. This is the rule. Then you got guys like us who do this for a living who've written, you know, twenty-five, you know, we've written two novels for every short story they've sold. And we're like, nah, dude, just freaking do whatever. You whatever know, works. Are, for are you. you having fun? Are your readers having fun? awesome exactly yeah i i yeah i mean i at a local con um at a local con that i was at and, and we'll, we'll kind of end on this here but there was a person who was giving a panel or a presentation on like story structure and how to structure your novel and how to structure your stories and da, 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 da. And so i asked some of the people coming out of it i'm like oh cool how what did that person published I'm like oh they don't have anything out yet I'm like well then why are they presenting there's a reason why, you know, we don't go to this convention anymore. So uh, with all that said, um, normally we could go on and rant forever and ever and we ever have about to go these sign things. Guns. But we literally have to go sign gu- books, books, <laughs> books, and probably some guns. Probably some guns. So um, with that, Jason, again, thank you so much, buddy, for being on the show. Thank you. Next time you owe me brisket. I do owe you brisket. Um, this is the Writer Dojo. We need and our we'll supporters to uh, yeah. donate money so Steve can have Steve, more brisket. Yes, please donate guess. brisket money for so I can give Jason I wish we brisket. had like sad music to play that Jason didn't get brisket. In the arms of an angel. That song still gives me PTSD. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. It's like my Bond villain name, Potty Mouth Galore. <laughs> Hashtag!
Yeah. Like, it's it's done. I mean, it's, voting's closed. It is said. I mean, the captain what has spoken. I, what was I 